good morning, church. Good morning. It's about that time. Thanks for joining us here this morning at Trinity. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to read from the Lord's Word as uh, our call to worship, but it's good to be in this place, and uh, I trust that uh, you anticipate to meet with the Lord, the living God, here this morning. And uh, we do that in many ways, and we say that we worship God. We worship God through music. We'll do that this morning. We worship God through his word, through prayer, through giving, through our time of fellowship, you know, of encouraging each other in the faith. And that's a big part of what we do on Sunday mornings, right, is that we gather on the first uh, morning of the week to say hello, to catch up, and uh, to remind each other that uh, we are in Christ, and as Christians, as believers, that uh, we have hope, and we are people of hope. And so, no matter what our week was like last week, uh, last week or what this week is going to be, um, we know that we can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what a great opportunity to begin our week by encouraging each other in our faith and our walk with the Lord Jesus. Because, you know, I think we can all admit we need it, don't we? We need each other. We need the reminders, the encouragement, the challenges. We get to hear testimonies about what God has been doing in each other's lives. And that really motivates us to continue to put our faith and trust in him. So again, welcome. And uh, I'm going to read from the beginning of Psalm 104. Let this be our call into worship this morning as we just kind of take that, that spiritual deep breath. And some of us maybe need to do that physically and just take a deep breath and relax and realize that we are in a place where we can meet with the Lord together uh, as his body of believers. And so let these words be an encouragement to you as I read them slowly. Consider, um, consider these words as an opportunity to turn our hearts and our minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this in the beginning of Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the messengers his winds, his ministers like a flaming fire, and he set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. Nothing happens outside of the sovereignty of our great God. Amen. He set the foundations of the earth, the foundations of our lives, so that in him we would not be moved. Let's pray together and then worship through song. Father God, we are grateful that you have brought us here together this morning. Lord, I'm thankful that you know each and every one of us. You know us by name. You have created each of us. And God, we don't believe in the coincidence or accident with you. And so there's a reason that you have called us together here this morning. And so, Lord, we gather now 
to offer ourselves up to you. Have your way with us this morning. Change our hearts and our minds. May we be transformed by the renewing of our minds through your word. And as we worship you now, Lord, through song, may the words that we are about to sing, may they ring true about who you are and your very nature and your very character. And may the words ring true about our relationship with you. Father God, we need to be reminded that we are people of hope and peace and we need to be reminded that you are the great God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, our God, our creator who loves us and sustains us. So God, you are worthy of all praise and so much more than we can ever offer. But Lord, now as we do sing these songs to you as an act of worship, may you be blessed. But even in the midst of it, we know that you will bless us, your children. So we say thank you, and we offer ourselves to you now in worship. As always, in the name of Jesus, amen. Church, would you stand with me as we worship God together?
Hallelujah. He is good. It is great to worship him in this place this morning. Amen. Worshiping the name of Jesus. So take a minute to say good morning to somebody next to you in the name of Jesus. All our chains undone. seats. Again, uh, thank you for joining us here at Trinity. It's always good to fellowship. Praise the Lord. We're going to, uh, we'll get started and um, it's always good to see our young ones head down the, the hallway to go with their teachers and so we're thankful for them. Praise the Lord for great uh, fellowship and good time just catching up and uh, I trust that you've been blessed already with an awesome time of worship very powerful songs as we were singing just in that last song, the powerful name of Jesus, and there is no other name. There is no other name, Scripture tells us, by which people will be saved if we just would trust in him and all that he has done for us. And so uh, we always want to, no matter what we do, make sure that we give attention and focus to that name that is above every name. And so it's good to worship the Lord in that way through song, powerful worship, uh, as we enter into a time of opening his word together. And so before we do that, I just wanted to highlight a, a few things. The first thing is, yes, I am wearing a boot this morning. It's the first highlight. All of you are just like, what's going on? If you've been here long enough, you know it was about five years ago or, or so that I had a surgery on the other foot, and that's an Achilles tendon issue. And uh, it started acting up on this foot, which is not um, unreasonable that it would happen. 
share a little bit more about that later. And so this just kind of takes some of the pressure off and all that. And so um, it makes me also a little more dangerous. So be careful, right? So, you know, just be careful what you say to the pastor. So, uh, but just a good reminder that we, um, we value these three words a lot here at Trinity, learn, grow, and serve. It is how we pursue being disciples, being followers of Jesus by learning the truth and growing in faith, and then, of course, serving each other. And um, just as a good reminder, there's uh, always opportunities to serve. And uh, a few weeks ago, we went down to Delaware. And so for this month, on the 26th, that's the last Sunday of February, is an opportunity to do some more serving, if you like. If you uh, went to the Delaware Outreach, or if you didn't get a chance to, here's another opportunity, a lot more local. But there is a, a place that's uh, often called Tent City, and um, it is in uh, Neptune, and uh, it's a place that our missions team has been many times, and our fearless leaders, Andrew and Elizabeth, um, have been there just recently and have said that the population has more than doubled since the last time they were there, and they are in need. And, um, and so we want to go there. We go there a couple times a year to help. We, uh, last time we went, we cleaned up the area, just helped pick up garbage and, and debris and things, and we brought some, uh, some stuff with us. And so for this time, what we'd like to do, and you'll hear more about it this coming week, but um, we would like to collect some canned goods, right? So, uh, some things that we can bring, some dry goods, canned goods, things that don't perish so, so easily and quickly to bring with us when we go to bless the people, we share the gospel, we hand out Bibles, and we help clean up the area and just spend some time um, just you know, getting to know the people, especially the new people that are there, and um, praying with them. It's an awesome time to just gather around them and to pray uh, right where they are in their little areas. And, um, and so we, this time we also want to bring some, some food to help them out. Um, I think we even have some uh, some more coats and things that we can bring, whatever we have, and we want to do that. And so this is an opportunity. So Sunday, the 26th, all right, and it'll be right after church that we'll head up there, and then there'll be an opportunity to, de- to debrief. Uh, if you're interested to stay a little bit longer, there's a restaurant close by that we can go, and we've done that before, too, to just kind of talk about our experience and and uh, just sit and enjoy a meal together, but talk about how we can help them more and pray for them more and what it was like to interact with them and get to know them, share some stories. So that is on the 26th, another opportunity um, that is created by our missions team just to, to be able to, um, uh, to help the people there. Uh, remember too that after today's service, uh, immediately after, have a, just a few minutes of fellowship, of course, and then we're going to meet in, in the back. And so if you're not able to stay, um, again, it's open for everybody, not just uh, members, but it's open for everybody. But if you just can't stay, then, then uh, you can fellowship out in the lobby or outside or head out. But uh, maybe about 10 minutes or so after the end of our service, we're all going to gather those that are going to stay in the back, and we will um, have our business meeting together. But again, it's open for everybody if you'd like to stay. And so we talk about things like the budget, the proposed budget for the year, and, and uh, we vote on that. And then we talk about uh, the ministries that are going on. I'll share a little bit more about our vision for this year and a brief recap from last year. You'll hear from some of the, the uh, other ministry leaders and some of the other people uh, in uh, the church, a couple of our deacons will share as, as well. And so it's a good opportunity to just kind of touch base and make sure we're on the same page and take care of some important business of the church. And so all are welcome to stay, but that is today, 
uh, right after service. And I did want to um, to just say a special thank you as uh, we were meeting uh, with uh, the deacons uh, last week, and just um, they just said, Pastor Keith, can you make sure that the church knows how much we appreciate them, we appreciate their generosity? And I said, of course, always like the opportunities to do that. And so we just want to say thank you from the leadership here at Trinity to each and every one of you for giving, giving not only of your time and giving of your, your energy and your efforts, but financially just helping us. Um, there, we've made many improvements over the years, and we have uh, an eye to, to more things coming uh, in, in this year and next. But, you know, even more importantly than that, the, the financial support that you give um, we know that you do it out of a heart for the Lord and for his people. And we just want you to know that we are, as a church, helping other people. We especially have, as the deacons oversee, our fellowship fund, which is a fund that goes to help people in need, especially in financial need. Whether it's in the church or even sometimes outside of our fellowship here, that we are able to help people in a financial crisis. And we've been able to do that uh, a lot this past year. And we just want to say thank you for giving towards our fellowship fund specifically because a lot of people have been helped. And of course, this happens behind the scenes as it should. Um, but we just want to say thank you and just be encouraged to know that, um, that as you give financially, but also as you give of your, your time and your giftings here at Trinity, people are being helped and blessed in practical ways and in ways that have eternal value. Amen. And so again, thank you. This is what the body of believers is um, supposed to be about. And I've shared this many times, but uh, I often get together with pastor friends and we sit around and we talk uh, about our ministries and about our church. And I tell them often what a generous church I'm privileged to be a part of. Generous in so many ways. So we just want to say thank you for being a very generous church here at Trinity. And um, uh, we look forward to what the Lord is going to do in and through us this year, and uh, we have some of that that we will share more about in our meeting after service. So again, thank you, and uh, most importantly, your efforts and your giving goes to promote the gospel locally and globally through our fellowship fund, through our missionaries, and through all that we do. Uh, one more thing of just a sort of housekeeping, and then we will open the word of God uh, together. Um, Claudia and I have this great opportunity uh, to get away for a couple of weeks and go visit our eldest daughter and her husband, Ben, in Hawaii. Yes, uh, many of you know that, but some of you don't know. They live on the island of Maui, and uh, so we are going to visit them. Uh, we, have, we have been there before, but not since they've moved and lived there, and so we'll be able to go see them and visit them and see their new place, and they are excited, as they said, to share their beautiful island with us, and so... That's what we're going to do. So, um, so uh, Bruce Neary, our other elder, will be, um, will be speaking and sharing the Word of God next Sunday, and then I'll be back for the following Sunday. Uh, so we'll be gone for the next two weeks, and just missing one Sunday. It's next, but Bruce will, uh, will bring the Word of God next Sunday. Uh, and uh, just a blessing, you know, and, and I think I talked recently about the, the importance of of rest and of sabbatical and taking time. And it's important when you have the opportunities 
to do that. And so we're blessed to be able to do it. And so we're leaving early tomorrow morning. And so prayers for traveling mercies would be appreciated. And I know it's always hard to pray for people that are going to Hawaii. I understand, you know. <laughs> but, you know, have mercy. My foot is hurting and, you know, you know how it is. And so um, uh, anyway, but we do appreciate that. And uh, just... Um, you know, it is, for, for those of you who are parents and have adult children who um, have uh, moved away and are not as easily uh, accessible, you can't see them very often, you cherish those times that you get to be in person. And things like Facebook or, you know, like Facebook chat and Facebook Live and being able to, to FaceTime with people and Zoom chat, it's, it's great. What a great tool, you know? Um, but it's nothing like being in person together. So, um, so. Yeah, we're blessed to be able to do that. So thank you. Um, so we're going to open God's word together. And um, it is uh, our continued series in Second Peter. And uh, our series, uh, we did First Peter um, beginning of last year. We are in Second Peter. is simply called this, Following Jesus in a Hostile World. And so this morning, our passage is from Second Peter still in chapter one, and it's verses 12 to 15. In, in a minute or two, it'll be up on the screen, but I always encourage you to open your Bibles, bring them with you. It's good to read it in your very own Bible or in your Bible app on your phone or the Bible's in front of you. They're under the seats in front of you, but um, it's Second Peter chapter one, verses 12 through 15. And our theme for this morning is to remember. what The power of remembering. <clears throat> this is a football. Who wants to go out for a pass? Anybody? It was um, the summer of 1961, and the Green Bay Packers were a football team that uh, had gathered and were looking quite gloom. It was the first time that they had gathered since the end of their previous season because that season had ended with uh, heartbreak and defeat when the Packers had squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the championship to the dreaded Philadelphia Eagles. Ooh, right, right. Mm -hmm. Who are also playing a game for the championship today. Mm -hmm but not against the Packers. Okay, so um, the Packers had been, of course, thinking about this loss um, all summer, you know, uh, since it ended. And I think we can relate to that, right? When you, 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 there's some kind of defeat or loss and you have to stew over it for a long time. And so they had gathered together at the beginning of training season that summer, having still just kind of dwelling on that loss. And so they're Famed coach, who wasn't so famed at the time, Vince Lombardi, a name many of us know, he came into training camp that July of 1961, and he took nothing for granted. And he began a tradition, one that he became very famous for, by starting each training camp season from scratch. He began with the most elemental statement of all, and he famously said this, to that downtrodden team. Gentlemen, this is a football. He started each training camp every year after that the same way, talking about the basics 
of that game they all loved, the game that they had all been playing for decades, focusing on the fundamentals throughout the training camp. Every player learned anew how to block and how to tackle. They opened the playbook and they started from page one. Six months later, after that first training camp, 1961, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37 to nothing to win the NFL championship. Vince Lombardi went on to become a very famous football coach, maybe the most famous of them all. But he focused on the fundamentals every year, never taking for granted the foundations of the game they all loved and knew so well. Players learned how to block and tackle. Even to this day, if you ask experts, what's the key to winning a football game? Blocking and tackling and not turning the ball over. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? But statistically, it has been shown that the vast majority of teams who play a full game without committing any turnovers go on to win that game. Statistically, it's been proven. But that's the way it works, that we are to focus on the fundamentals. But it's the same for us as Christians. Because in our passage today, you're going to see that the Apostle Peter, he kind of pauses in his train of thought as he's writing this important letter to Christians who are being downtrodden themselves, who are being oppressed, and who are being sort of infiltrated in their churches by false teachers. Peter pauses to tell his readers very simply why he's writing a letter. He doesn't do it at the beginning of the letter, but he had already been teaching them and talking and setting up the whole premise of his letter about the, uh, the importance of knowing the truth and staying firm on the foundation of their faith so that they can resist the temptations and the teachings of the false teachers. So he kind of pauses in his train of thought and tells his readers, here is why I'm writing this letter to you. And it's very simply this, to remind them of what they already knew. It's very simple, but yet so profound. To remind them of the truth they already knew. And that's the theme for us today. To be reminded of the truth of God and his son Jesus Christ. Truths that we have already heard and that we know, but to be reminded. There is great power in memory. There is great power in remembering. So let's read it together. This is 2 Peter 1, 12 to 15, our passage for today. And think about this word, remind or remember, and see how it comes into play in this passage today. So Peter kind of stops what he was talking about and says this. So, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ had made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, 
you will always be able to remember these things. That's it. But you see what he's doing there. He said it three times. He said it in different ways, but he said, I am going to remind you of what you already know and the importance of remembering that truth. See, oftentimes we can get caught up in, in always trying to learn new things and make sure that, okay, we learned this in Scripture and we read that. That's good. We don't have to go back to that. I want something new and something fresh, something different and exciting. Those things come the more that we spend time in God's Word. But you know what? Peter is saying, don't ever neglect the foundations of your faith. Don't ever neglect the truth of the gospel. All of, as he says, these things, the things he already reminded them of. If you remember from our previous couple of passages, Peter already started to remind them of who they are in Christ and how they have been given everything that they need to live the victorious Christian life. Everything that they need for godliness. To live the holy life that God calls us to live. So Peter had already told us that, you know what, you have the tools that you need to do what Jesus has called you to do, to be on mission for God. He has already set you up. He has blessed you with everything that you need. We don't need to ask him, God, give me something new, give me something fresh, something that I never had before, because in Christ we have been given all that we have. Our job now is to put it into practice and to use it, to discover it fresh and new every day, and then to live it out. It's like what Vince Lombardi did with his team back in the summer of 1961. They were professional football players, 38 of them, and they knew how to play the game really well at the most elite level. But yet he started and said, this is a football. I'm sure most, most of them probably laughed or snickered, didn't understand what was going on. But he needed to bring them back to the basics of the game because it wouldn't make any sense, it wouldn't help them at all if he came up with all these great, amazing new strategies and plays and trick plays and all these things to try to outsmart the opponent if they didn't know how to tackle properly or to hold on to the ball so they wouldn't turn it over. Does that make sense? And so Peter, in a way, is doing that with us in this passage for us this morning and saying, look, I've reminded you that you have everything that you need and you need to put it into practice because after these verses, as we'll see in a couple weeks, he then starts to, to unpack what it looks like that these false teachers are coming in, the things that they're teaching and how to be aware of it. But before he does that, he wants to pause and say, Here's what I most importantly am focused on. I want to remind you of the truth you already know. Remember a few weeks ago, I used this, this common and popular illustration that the way that experts in our currency, our dollars, how they know how to spot fraud or counterfeit money is by studying the real thing. And that is what Peter is saying in essence. But how do we recognize false teaching? How do we build up in our ability to discern truth from non-truth? It is by understanding and learning and focusing on the truth. See, it's interesting, and you'll see as the letter progresses, he doesn't tell us to focus on the false teachers or even on their teaching, but he makes us aware of them and says, this is how you're going to avoid, right, 
being uh, deceived by those false teachings because there's always truth involved, right? It's the way of our adversary, the devil, to mix a little bit of truth in with the lie. That's the nature of deception. But see, Peter says you're going to focus on what's true, and therefore you will be able to recognize and discern what is false. And so he says, what I'm simply going to do is remind you of what is true. So let's just briefly unpack these few verses together and notice that he tells us that we are to, um, to take to heart the power of memory. So in verse 12, he says, I will always remind you of these things. Again, these things, what he just talked about, that we've been given everything that we need to live the godly life, the victorious Christian life. But he says, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. See, so he's encouraging them, and I encourage you, church, as well. Whether you are here seeking after Jesus still or you have been a believer in him for a long time, regardless, you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have heard the name of Jesus, that great name that we were just singing about, that most powerful of all names, and you have heard that basic truth. And so Peter's words are important for all of us and applicable to all of us today because he says you already have these and for those of us who are already believers, it's our foundation. You know, when you build a house, you lay the foundation once. You don't keep building a foundation. However, as you build and, and as builders, I think I can put this down now, right? You this is a football. Did I say that already? I'll say it a few, a few more times. As builders, right, are, are, are building a house from the foundation up and they're looking at the plans and the architectural plans, they are always referring back to what? To the foundation, right? It is their reference point to make sure the walls are straight and everything is built to code. They're going to start with their reference always at the foundation. And Peter is saying, always go back to the foundation of your faith. Don't forget it. Be reminded of it often. And actually, Peter says, this is what I, I, I sense my calling is to do in this letter and in First Peter, is to remind you of these things because you already know it. It's the foundation of who you are in Christ. You're firmly established in it, he said. It's the truth that you know and believe in and you have it, but I want to remind you of these things always. He's like, this is what I'm going to do always. It's important to be reminded to focus on the basics and the foundation. You know, it's a big part of what I believe my calling is as the lead pastor here and teacher is not to try to be so innovative every week to come up with something new and exciting, maybe that you've never heard before. The word of God is always new and exciting to us, isn't it? It's not my job to, to, um, to make it relevant it's my responsibility to show you how the word of God is already and always relevant, right? So important, that difference. And so it's an important part of what I'm called to do is remind you of the truth, remind you of what you already have been given and what you know. And so in Hebrews 5.14, the writer of Hebrews says it this way, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I'm gonna read that again. Listen to this. 
The writer of Hebrews says this, and it's, it's so applicable to what Peter is trying to tell us. The writer of Hebrews says, solid food, and he's talking spiritually, right? Solid food is for the mature, just like solid food is for, for children as they get older, move away from the baby food to solid food. He says, solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Do you see that clarifier there? It's the fact that the writer of Hebrews is saying, we, we grow to eat more solid food, more sustenance, but by constant use and being trained over and over, exercising and training constantly, we then have the ability to distinguish or discern good from evil. Do you see that? It's like the football coach saying, in order for us to win this game, in order for us to defeat our enemy, to recognize the plays and the strategies of our enemy, we need to first be solid in the basics. Know how to tackle and know how to hold on to the ball so you don't turn it over. The Hebrews is saying that the mature believer, the one who is maturing and growing, we talk a lot about that here at Trinity, growing, right? Learning and growing and serving. He says, those are the mature Christians who can keep growing, but he says, this is how it happens. By constant use, using your gifts, putting into practice the, the things that you read in scripture and actually doing it and living it out. He says, by doing that, you are constantly being trained and training yourself like an athlete would to then distinguish good from evil. See, it doesn't just happen. You don't just read it once. You don't just come to church on Sunday, although it's in a very important part of what we do and who we are. But we are to constantly be growing, putting into practice what we have learned and being reminded of the foundations of our faith so that we can grow in maturity and be able to distinguish good from evil. An extremely critical aspect of the life of a believer. And I would have to say, even more so today than ever before, as Peter was writing to Christians who were being persecuted, and there were more and more false teachers that were gaining popularity in those churches, we see that happening today. Even more reason for us to be diligent about distinguishing good from evil by, as Hebrews says, constantly using what we read about in the scriptures. See, a head full of Bible knowledge really is no use at all if you're not putting it into practice. You know that? I mean, it's the difference, church, between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is important, and, and our theme verse for this year is about growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to know about him and to know him in our relationship, but then what are we doing with that? Are we actually putting it into practice and therefore then growing? You know? It's like you can, you can have a room at your house full of all the latest exercise equipment. I'm sure you all do, right? And you can study and you can watch all the YouTube videos and want about how to use it. And then if you just close the door and say, man, that's so good. I know everything there is about exercising. And then you walk away, right? We're all laughing because, yeah, that's what we do. What good is all of that fancy equipment 
Man, it could be put to great use and it could help us grow and, and train, right, as we use it and use it and use it and we'll grow bigger and stronger, right? But spiritually speaking, it's what we do with the word of God. We are not to just have it there on our shelf or maybe refer to it once in a while, but as we're digging deeper into it and we're spending time with each other and, and praying and growing spiritually, then we will be able to discern good from evil. Verse 13, he goes on to say, I think it is right to refresh your memory. See, he said it again. He just said it a different way. First he said, I want to remind you of these things. Now he says, I think it is right to refresh your memory. That's a good, we all need refreshment. You need to be refreshed of the things you already know. Like, you can't be refreshed of something that you didn't already have. And so he said, I want to refresh your memory. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Let's park there for just a second. So again, he's given us his theme, his reason, sort of his purpose statement for writing this letter. It is to remind believers of the truth they already know, so they stand firm on it and don't waver from it. But then he says, as long as I live in the tent of this body. So again, he's saying it's, it's his life's purpose to encourage and challenge believers by focusing on the basics of the faith. But he says, as long as I live in the tent of this body. Is that interesting? So he calls his body, this earthen vessel we have, he calls it a tent. And it's important. He doesn't just, it's not just a throwaway term. Nothing in scriptures is throwaway, right? It's all valid and important. So why would he say that? Why would he call his body a tent in which he dwells. I think a couple of things are important to, to realize. One, he is reminding himself and his readers that just like them, he is a sojourner. He is a pilgrim on his way to somewhere more important, realizing that this life is brief. He's talking about the brevity of his life. See, if you're gonna go and dwell somewhere, it's one thing if you build a house it shows that you plan to live there for a considerable amount of time because you're investing a lot in that structure. But when you have a tent, it by nature shows that you are ready to move at a moment's notice, that you do not plan to make that your permanent dwelling. So he calls his body a tent. And I love that because what a great reminder to his readers, his original readers, and to us today that we are tents. Our bodies are a tent a tent that we are to care for and to give attention to because God gave it to us, but nonetheless it is a tent because it is a temporary dwelling. And we say, thank God for that. Thank God for that, right? No boots in heaven. <laughs> this is a temporary dwelling. And so what a great reminder of a basic truth, right, that he is sharing again with his readers, remind them to hearken them back to say, you know what? Our spirit is what will live forever in all of eternity. But this body, we will shed this mortal body, this tent. It is a temporary dwelling place for our spirit, our new spirit in, in, in Christ. And so it's an important reminder that we are but sojourners on our way to heaven. And this is temporary, this life. We even know that we're told that all of our trials and tribulations, our afflictions are to be called momentary and light. 
compared to the glory of the home that awaits us. In John 14, one of those, those passages that we love, Jesus reminds us that he's going to prepare a place for us. Do you remember that? He was encouraging his disciples because he was about to leave. He knew that his hour was near, and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It was my father's house, as many mansions, right? But he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, then you know that I'll come back for you. He's trying to encourage them. We know Jesus is returning. We were singing that before, right? That we want to be the church like a bride waiting for her groom, for him to come back. Even so, come, Lord, the way that the whole Bible ends. We might shout, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come soon. We look forward to that day. So we remember that these these bodies are are tents. They were temporary dwelling places. And what a great reminder of that foundational truth. Why? Because we know this, these lives are fleeting. But we are yet pilgrims, just sojourners on our way to a much better place. So we are to keep our eyes focused on him. I think that's the other part of it too. That when we remember that the bodies that we have been given and blessed with are but temporary, that I think it's a great reminder to keep our eyes not focused inward, but upward. We are told to set our eyes on things above where Christ is, not on the things of this earth. So the more that we focus on this tent, although we give it the attention that we should, we are to keep our eyes truly fixed on our eternal destiny. And so see, Peter here actually is at the end of his life. And we know because he died just a few short years later. So this is, in a way, sort of his last words to his friends, to followers of Jesus, fellow followers of Jesus. He knew his time was coming, and that's what he says in the next verse, verse 14. Because I know that I will soon put it aside, meaning the tent. Because I know that I will soon put it aside, put the tent aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Do you know that Peter... I would call it a privilege. He probably didn't think it a privilege at the time. But Peter was told by Jesus himself how he was going to die. In John 21, reads this, uh, verses 17 to 19. Just listen to these words. You can look it up if you like. John 21, 17 to 19. This is that, that, that famous account where Jesus approaches Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. He says it three times, and it says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He wanted to really get Peter's attention. Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Can you see Peter, right, whose anger can get the best of him, his frustration, getting frustrated with Jesus? Why do you keep asking me? I already told you. He says, you know everything. You know I love you. So Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then in verse 18, he says, very truly I say to you, this is Jesus to Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He's predicting his death. Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said, follow me. What would we say to Jesus? 
He said, okay, you're going to die someday. This is what it's going to look like. Now, follow me on our way. But that is the life of a disciple. We're called to this life of death, in a sense, right? About self-denial, putting to death the flesh, as the Apostle Paul calls it, putting on the new self while putting off the old self, Paul says elsewhere. It is this life, this call as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to put to death the old and to put on and embrace the new, but all the while keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, the one we are following, knowing that this tent is but temporary. Because one day we'll live for eternity in that mansion that he is building for each of us. You know, and I have to say, I, I really believe the reason the Lord has not yet returned is because he's not done with my mansion yet. I mean, it's taken a long time. You know, I understand what that looks like, right? We were uh, walking around, uh, my son and I were walking around New York City earlier in the week and looking around, you know, if you, the last time, if you ever noticed, you walked around New York City, you're constantly walking under scaffolding. It seems like every building is under construction. The whole city is, is continuously and always under construction. And I'm just hoping, like, the people in charge of that are not the ones that are building my mansion in heaven, because it'll never be done. Right? So he says, I know my time is coming. Soon I will put aside this tent. And Jesus made it clear to me. So he knew his time was coming to a close. And so he says then in verse 15, our last verse for today, he says, and I will make every effort. There he is again. I always remind you, he says, right? It's right to refresh your memory as long as I live. Now he says, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So how is it that his readers and us today would be able to remember all these things after he's gone? Because he's writing a letter. He's writing a letter. It's kind of like he's leaving his legacy. You ever think about that? I mean, as you get older, you think about it a little bit more. But what are people going to remind, be reminded of when they think of me? Right? What's my legacy going to be? Am I building my legacy? We often think about it as we grow in age. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you journal? I've never been a journaler. It's always been recommended to me and encouraged to me. I just never, it just never stuck with me. But some of you, maybe many of you, are active journalers. And, and I love that. I, I look back and I think, you know, I really wish I had started journaling because there's so much that I forget. My kids complain about it all the time, and, and, I, and I'll just say, I, this happened the other day when I was with Luke in the city. I said, hey, I saw a concert there. It was awesome. He looked at me, and he stopped. He goes, I was with you. And how embarrassing is that? Because I was so excited. I went to that place, saw a concert. Yeah, I was standing right next to you. You hate that, right? You wish you could just journal everything, go back and remember, oh, yeah, I did that. I did that. But journaling is, is a good thing. A lot of people will do that. But what does that look like for us to be leaving a legacy? And so Peter here knows that he, he, um, his time is short and his time is coming. And so he wants to do just that. He wants to leave a legacy, leave something behind. And what does he deem to be most important? I'm going to focus on the basics, the gospel, the fact that we've been given everything that we need to live this life because we're on mission for God until Jesus comes back. And he's like, Jesus is coming back for me soon. And he told me how it was going to happen. 
But here's what you need to be reminded of. So again, in the last verse, he says, I'm going to make every effort. It means he's writing these things, and he's, he's really contemplating these words as the Spirit leads him to write these. He says, so that you can remember these things. It's his whole like purpose for writing. I just want you to remember the things you already knew. And that's how he ends this passage. Because then, it's sort of like this bridge. Because then, as we look at it a couple of weeks, he gets into um, this idea of false teachers in the church, what they're teaching, what to look out for, why it's so dangerous. You know, no matter how it is that you are building your legacy, know that you do have one. We all do. We all have a testimony and a story to tell. In all of our decisions, our actions, the time we spend with the Lord, the time that we spend with each other as believers, the time we spend with our families, we are building and leaving a legacy because we never know when the Lord's gonna call us home. We can't plan that day. It'll never happen a minute sooner or later than God intends and has willed, but we don't know. So let us spend each day living for him since he died for us building that legacy as Peter was doing in this letter. It's so important. And let us be reminded of the truths that we know and remind others often the grace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even believers who have been believers 50 years need to hear the gospel plain and simple again and again to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. You know, it was about uh, five years ago or so that I had surgery on this foot, and around the same time, I also had some serious back issues, and uh, some of you probably remember, if you've been around long enough, me hobbling in here on Sundays, and I even had a scooter. Do you remember that? I had a scooter that I rode around in because my other foot had surgery, and some of you very kindly gave me a horn and a bell to use on that, so I'd ride around between the horn and the bell. The Lord willing, I won't have to do that again on this foot. But you know, I was reminded this morning as I was finishing my preparations that back then when that happened, especially when I was having some serious back issues, I had gone to see my chiropractor. And he said something to me that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, but I need to be reminded of, and the Lord reminded of me of it this morning. He said to me as he was treating me and, and giving me some, some pointers on how to help my recovery, he said, the more, most important thing that you can do is remember the pain. Some of you maybe remember me saying that. Remember the pain. And what he was trying to say was, as you're getting up in the morning and you need to stretch and do the exercises that I'm giving you to make sure you don't have this issue with your back any longer, he said, remember the pain as a motivator as a way to say, look, I need to do these things. Because who gets up in the morning and wants to do your stretches and the exercises? Some of you are much better than that than others. But it's just like you, you have to, to be intentional about doing it, and there's got to be a motivation. And so his way was to say, remember the pain. I was reminded of that this morning. Remember the pain. And so Peter, he absolutely remembered the pain that Jesus endured on the cross the pain that Jesus endured for him and for his readers and for all of us. John 3.16, perhaps the most well-known verse in all of Scripture, 
says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would never die but have everlasting life. Right? The gospel in a nutshell, that whoever would believe, one condition for salvation, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That is how God loved the world, that he gave us Jesus. But what does that mean that he gave us Jesus? Jesus came, he was born, he grew, he taught for three and a half years, he had a public ministry. And then he did what he was really born to do, what he said that he would have to do, and he went to the cross. He died a very cruel death, a torturous death, a death that we can't even imagine. And he did that for me and for you. Peter remembered the pain. We are to remember. Remember the pain that Jesus endured. Remember the sacrifice of our Lord on our behalf so that we can now have life abundantly in this life, on this side of heaven, and life eternal if we simply believe in him. So the gospel is that. That if you believe in the Lord Jesus, that you believe that he is who he says he is, the very son of God, the Messiah, the promised one, and that he did what he said he was going to do, die on a cross to take the penalty of our sin and then come back to life three days later to defeat death, be accepted by the Father as that payment. If we believe in that and we believe it to be true for ourselves, for our personal sin, and we believe that is the only way, as Jesus said, to be reconciled to the Father, we will be saved. So when we say believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, that's what you're believing. That's what it looks like. That you are believing the truth about who he is and what he did and that you're believing that it's true for you and therefore trusting it with your eternal destiny. Because all you have to do is believe. No amount of work before or after is required because Jesus did all the required work on the cross. That is where we place our faith and our trust. Church, that is the core foundation of our faith. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the glorious gospel of the empty tomb. That because he lives, we can now live in him. It's John three sixteen. It is the gospel. So how do we guard against these false teachers Peter's about to tell us? by constantly re being reminded of and reminding others, constantly and consistently of the truth of what we already know, the truth of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father God, I thank you for each one here. I thank you for the blessing that they are to this church, the blessing that they are to you. Father, we all need reminding. It's why you gave us communion. You told us to do that as often as we get together to remember you in remembrance of you. Father, would you please, out of your abundance of grace and mercy, remind us often, bring us back to your word and the word of truth about the gospel of grace. Remind us often of why it is that we can have hope in this world and the world to come. It's all because of Jesus. May we remember often the pain that Jesus endured. 
God, help us to focus on the foundations, to, to practice the basics of our faith over and over and over again as we grow into maturity by constantly putting these things to use that we have learned. God, help us to be reminded of the gospel and to tell others often about the gospel, especially those who have already believed in it for salvation. God, that we would stand firm on the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus Christ and him alone. May you get all the glory, Father God. May we be led by the Spirit to live each day, walking out our firm foundation. You'll get all the glory in that powerful and wonderful name, Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for joining us, church. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she said she didn't want to do it, so it's okay. So uh, give us about 10 minutes or so, and then uh, we will uh, start our meeting. Come on. So I talk. Yeah.
Good news for the shame. There is good news for the world who walked away. There is good news for the doubter. The one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's 